Hello, my dear pod squatter. How are you? How are you doing, my friend? Wherever you are right here, right now, in this moment, whether you're driving or waiting to pick up somebody or doing some chores or in between patients or whatever you are up to as you're listening to this, maybe you're on a walk, right? I want you to know that I'm thinking of you. I have your back. And my my belief is that everybody deserves to feel loved. Everybody, if they were given the right tools, can master their emotions and their relationships and have deep, fulfilling, playful, thriving relationships. That is a deep-held belief in my bones. And this podcast is a way to share those tools so that everybody can experience that in their lifetime. So in this podcast, we have a special, special guest, Dr. Sadaf Lodi. She is a board-certified OBGYN, executive coach for women. She's based in New York. She is an all-star. She graduated from University of Michigan with honors in biochem and then did her doctorate in osteopathic medicine in Michigan State and then did her residency in gynecology and obstetrics at Michigan. Then she went and earned a certification as a life and executive coach from Rutgers. And now she combines her expertise in OBGYN and her life and executive coach sort of training to help spread sexual confidence and sexual um, information and empowerment to all women, regardless of whether you're in a relationship or not, and regardless of whatever your orientation or your um, sexual sort of needs and desires maybe she believes and i 100 percent echo this that all women regardless of the backgrounds have the potential and they deserve to live life to its fullest so in this conversation dr erica bove our head coach and dr sadaf lodi have a fascinating conversation about the interplay between sexual intimacy and emotional intimacy i learned so much from listening to this conversation and i know you will too I hope you enjoy and um, learn as much as I did. Here we go. Hey, hey, this is Dr. Kavita Sun. Welcome to the Emotional Mastery Podcast. This podcast is about emotions, psychology, and relationships. Every week, I'll be sharing real-life tools to help you build self-awareness, a better relationship with yourself, and more fulfilling relationships with the people that matter to you. Listen, this is the foundation on which the rest of your life is built. So let's take the time to get it right. I'll see you on the inside. It's just so excited to hear that there's another OPGYN who's interested in sex intimacy coaching, because I think that's just such a a gap in in our field. So yeah. I I agree. You know, 100%, I think that not many uh, people feel comfortable with that. I think it's good that we can expand and serve as many people as possible because there certainly is a need for sure. And there's a gazillion people everywhere. Hundred <laughs> percent. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. um, so tell me a little bit about how you got into coaching. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, I'll just uh, introduce myself a little bit. So, yes. I'm, 
My name is Dr. Sada Flody, and I'm a board-certified OBGYN and intimacy coach here in New York. I, um, I have been doing OB for now more than, well, 23 years now, and um, I got into coaching because basically, as you know, you know, being an OBGYN as well, at, well, you're an infertility specialist, so I'm yeah. sure for you especially, um, that a lot of patients will come and ask, you know, very private, intimate questions about sex and sexuality. And um, I think that due to our own discomfort being physicians and definitely not having the knowledge, like I'm not sure about your training, but I know with my training, I, in medical school, I got maybe two to three hours of sex ed. And that was, of course, the, you know, Masters and Johnson um, sexual response cycle from the 1960s based on old white men, right? Yeah, yeah. And I know, <laughs> right? And I know that, like, women are not old white men. <laughs> and so we have a different sexual response cycle. And, you know, that wasn't written up until 2001 with Rosemary Basson that came up with the female sexual response cycle. And I just feel like, you know, I just didn't really have the knowledge to answer the questions that my patients had and the, the things they would ask me about decreased libido, decreased arousal, you know, what they could do, how they could help themselves, uh, what they could do if they were worried that their, you know, partner was asexual or demisexual, what can they do and things mm -hmm. like that. So I think all of those questions, you know, really led me toward this path and especially working in the community that I do, I, you know, there's a lot of taboo uh, associated with sexual health. And I think it's not just with conservative communities, because, you know, I deal with um, women that were raised in like Catholic, uh, were raised Catholic or raised Mormon and things like that. And they also have a lot of sex negativity. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, and then the, the, the images that we get fed to us, right, is usually like on magazine covers or uh, through porn or whatever. I think that the images that we see are not necessarily accurate. And I feel that a lot of people need to understand that what they see perhaps in the images is that these people are actors, right, or they're uh, posing for something, but that's really their job. That's what they do. And so what happens in reality is not necessarily what's going to be, you know, seen on screen. And I think people have different expectations. And I think it's just kind of helping people understand what is real and what is not. And also helping people to go from perhaps a sex negative um, mindset that they may have had to more of a sex positive one that serves them. Oh, that is, I'm so glad you brought that up. I have like a zillion questions I could ask you right now. Um, <laughs> how long into your practice did you decide how, when were you like enough is enough? I need to just take this into my own hands and learn more and be a coach. How long yeah. was that for you? You know, honestly, it was my journey really started in uh, November, 2021. And actually it was a little bit before, I would say like September, 2021, where I was wow. like, you know what, there, this is a huge void yes. um, in just medicine. We don't talk about sexual health. We don't. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the physician's own discomfort. Even physicians that I talk to, they're just like, they won't even come on my podcast. They'll be like, Oh no, I can't talk about sex. No, you know, and these are like psychiatrists and these are. Why do you think, do you think it's that people are just uncomfortable with the topic? Do you think they're worried that their family and friends will be you know, listening and maybe it's not something they talk about with those people? What do you think it is? All of the above. I think all of the above. I think it, you know, it perhaps stems from their own 
sex negativity, right? That they yeah. may have been indoctrinated into when they were small and growing up. I think yeah. it has to do with the community that they're part of and, um, you know, what, what are other people going to say? And I think, you know, to be honest and to be fair, I had to deal a lot with that uh, on my own, right? Just having to come to terms with this is something that I find is very important. And I, my whole why of why I even do what I do is to empower and educate women about their sexual health yeah. and so that women can find the sexual confidence they need to find pleasure in their relationships. That's and wonderful. That's why I do it. And so I think that having a a good why, right, really helps you on the days when you're sitting back and thinking like, why the heck am I even doing <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So interesting. So I think there, again, so many things we could talk about. I'm really curious about your approach to going from a more sex negative mindset with all the shame that can come along with that. How do you take someone who is in that space and then gently help them come, quote unquote, to the other side of more sex positivity? Yeah. So what I do is I use a lot of, so in coaching, we focused a lot on at least the part that I, that really resonated with me was more of the cognitive behavioral therapy. And that was really looking at what our thoughts are and that whole system of looking at, right. So where does that sex negativity come from? So looking at our thoughts and realizing that we have so many thoughts that go through our head every single day and that we have, I think one of the most empowering things to know and realize is that we have, we get to choose our thoughts and we get to decide what thoughts are serving us and what is not. And even just accepting that a thought may not be serving us, but just realizing that it's there and accepting it and Mm -hmm. then on and trying to go to something that is a thought that serves us better and realizing that whatever thoughts we have then translate into feelings and those feelings cause us to act a certain way. So mm-hmm. if we can then change the thought that we have, and maybe it's not from going completely to a sex positive thought, right? But at least just to a sex neutral. Yeah, thought, yeah. Right. So sometimes it's hard to make that, you know, 180 switch um, from something negative to a positive. But I think just realizing what it is that may be set, holding you back to begin with. And then slowly moving toward a more sex positive thought and then the feeling that, you know, comes about in yourself and then the action that results because of that feeling, I think is super important. So that's kind of the way that I do my approach is more Mm -hmm. of the cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah, that's amazing. And so for some of our listeners who might not know what say sex negative thoughts might be, what are some of the yeah. What are some of the the sort of the thoughts that you hear in your clients where you're like, oh, I can really help somebody who has these recurrent thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, some of those thoughts are like sex is dirty, it's wrong, it's shameful, it's embarrassing. Um, it's not something that we talk about, you know, it's something that it really needs to be private. And I'm not saying that somebody needs to go and, you know, with a megaphone or something and start talking about their sexual, whatever, you know, history to everyone. But it's more of just being more positive about what it is that uh, is part of their life, because sexual health, we know, is a huge part of everyone's life, right? And yeah. what I often say to my clients is that whatever is happening in the bedroom is also happening outside of the bedroom. So mm-hmm. 
you are not talking to your spouse or if you're stonewalling them or if you're angry or if you have your back turned to them, right, then that's probably what's also happening outside of the bedroom. And mm -hmm. how do we go about changing what's happening outside so that it changes what's inside of the bedroom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that's so fascinating. And I was, I was just listening to one of the Glennon Doyle podcasts recently about this subject. I don't know if you follow her. I think she's fascinating. Um, but they have a keen interest in this as well. And the, the guest on the podcast was talking about how some people, typically women, but not always, need emotional intimacy first. And I'm talking about heterosexual relationships here. And then, you know, for many men, it's the physical intimacy first and then the emotional intimacy. So how do you help people bridge that gap who maybe have different angles at closeness? Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the first things to realize is that there are so many different forms of intimacy, right? Mm -hmm. So you have the physical intimacy, then you have the emotional, you have the intellectual, you have the spiritual. And intimacy is really a form of connection with another person. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different levels. And I think for women, what happens a lot of times, and that is also part of the whole female sexual response cycle, right, is that creating that emotional intimacy. And women typically want trust. They want to have somebody that they can be vulnerable with. And for them, that's super important. And again, we're talking about heteronormative relationships. And, you know, it may not be true for all women, but I think for the majority of women, they desire that emotional connection. So the question then comes up, well, how do you build that emotional connection? And yeah. something asked me recently um, on a different podcast is that they had somebody that um, she wanted to know how to coach somebody that, and she was a psychiatrist, um, that had a couple that was dealing with infidelity. Mm. And I said that, that that in itself would be very difficult just because women desire and actually want that emotional intimacy. And so when they can't have that emotional and that emotional intimacy is created with trust. And if you've already lost that trust with your partner, it's going to be hard to have that emotional intimacy. Not that it can't be you know, remade, but I think that it would be very difficult for that couple to move past. I think there would have to be a lot of you know, forgiveness I think yeah. they would have to, you know, talk about that relationship. And I think that they would have to learn to trust each other again. And then yeah. that trust over time would build into that emotional intimacy. But I think that once that trust is lost within that relationship, I think it's very difficult to build that emotional intimacy mm -hmm. all over. And then if you don't have that emotional intimacy, like we just spoke about, you know, it's hard then to bridge that gap and go to the physical intimacy because that's not going to happen without mm -hmm. that emotional intimacy first. Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, this is the Emotional Mastery Podcast and that's that, and that is what we do. We help professional women who are struggling with their emotional mastery, which is the building block for relational mastery. And so people come to us often with their relationships in disarray, you know, somewhere, somewhere along the line, things got off track and people find themselves in loveless marriages and oftentimes there's children and people are trying to decide how do I, how do we get back what we used to have? And sometimes people even come to us on the brink of divorce too, you know, and I'm sure you see that in your practice too. Yeah, so how, how would you recommend, you know, I hear this all the time too with my clients and my patients too, is, you know, it's just gotten so stale. We just can't even connect anymore or, you know, how do we spice things up? Because it's just been the same for so long. And uh, we're missing, we're missing each other. We're missing each other. And I'm so tired at the end of the day that that's the last thing that I, that's on my mind, right? I hear this all the time. 
Yeah. I'm sure you do too. What What do you think about those sorts of those sorts of yeah. situations? So you know what I think is that I think it's really important to schedule in dates, and I know that sounds very unromantic, but I think that you know if we think about when we first started dating our partner or our spouse. I think that, you know, we had to schedule things in, right? We scheduled a date, we scheduled where we were going to go, what we were going to wear, what the night was going to look like, what our hair was going to look like, what, you know, all of those things, what we were going to order. And I think that even though at that time, perhaps it seemed more spontaneous, I think that now scheduling a date, you know, just seems like, oh my gosh, it's one more thing to schedule. But I think that that's really important because especially if you're dealing with somebody that has low libido and say you have high libido, I think that having that date, at least you know that, and that's something that you have to agree upon, both of you, but that would be the night where perhaps you have that physical intimacy that you haven't had in a long time, right? So that the person with the low libido isn't thinking like every time, you know, they give a hug or a kiss or something that it's going to lead to something else. And the person with the high libido isn't thinking that, well, you know, I just hugged her and kissed her, whatever, and now we're going to have sex, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that scheduling time for each other helps in so many different ways. One, you're actually showing that person that they're important Mm -hmm. and that they matter because we schedule in everything, right? We schedule in baseball games, we schedule in the kids' concerts, whatever. But scheduling that time for your date night shows the other person that they matter. And I think that's one of the very important things in a relationship is to know that you're valued and that you mean something to the other person. Yeah, yeah. That's so, so fascinating that you say that. We kind of talk about how divorce tends to happen in two different places, right? So it's, you know, initially when the first power struggles start to come in and people have a hard time navigating those power struggles. And then there's the second wave is when the kids go off to college, then people realize that they've become so disconnected that everything has become about the kids, right? So I think that that might be a way to, especially for the second wave people, uh, try to, to create those closeness inroads along the way so that once everybody's out of the nest, it's not like you're on different planets, right? I think that might be helpful. Um, do you ever find that people are ambivalent about about scheduling dates if they haven't done that in a while? Like it might be uncomfortable? Definitely, I think that there is some discomfort. Like for example, I had a patient, a uh, client rather, that um, she and her husband just weren't ever really talking anymore. That they, mm-hmm. everything, their whole conversation would evolve around just what you said, right? The children or uh, work or bills or something like that. And they, there just was no connection between the two of them. So what I suggested to her was that she schedule in just 15 minutes uh, at the end of the day or whatever time was convenient for them where they weren't distracted with other responsibilities and chores yeah. to connect with their partner and yeah. talk about things that actually mattered to them so that they could build that emotional connection. And I think that people that come for coaching mm-hmm. do care about their relationship and do want it to work and yeah. do see a result. I think that they are just at a loss of where to start and what to do. Yeah, yeah. I think that makes sense. So for the listeners who are hearing this and some of these problems are resonating, you know, maybe it's time to take a closer look and deep dive in and start to consider some of these questions. Because I think a lot of times, at least my experience is that people feel very helpless and hopeless in these. They feel like they're in their ruts. They feel like, well, I don't even know where to start. But I think that by just even recognizing that they're 
yes, there is a problem, but then there's also ways to reestablish that connection. I think that can provide a lot of hope for people who really, truly want to stay with their partners. They just don't know how to connect again. Yeah. And I think treating that person like perhaps they're a new person, right? That really you've become so disconnected with that you don't even know who they are anymore. You know, maybe asking those questions that you asked when you first started dating, right? Like, where would you like to go? What would you like to do? Where do you see yourself, you know, in five years or something like that? I mean, it doesn't have to be like a work interview. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Show me your like, updated CV. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then we'll go on a date. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But you, see, you know, showing your curiosity and showing that you are genuinely interested in what they have to say yeah. and putting them on your phones. I think that's one of the biggest things, right? We're, we're so distracted. And we're always checking our phones for whether it's a text or whatever. And I think just putting those away when you're with that special person also yeah. lets them know that you are prioritizing them and that they're important to you and that yeah. you're not focusing on anything else except for them. I, I love that you said that. And I think it's like, you're right. So with the, I call it the buzzing and the beeping. The buzzing and the beeping, it just pulls our attention away from whoever is with us. And it's, you know, if that person is our first priority, you know, that's, it's an action. It's a simple action, but very powerful um, that shows them that they really do matter. And that curiosity, I love that you brought that up too, because I, I really think, you know, gratitude and curiosity. I think if I had to put everything else aside, you know, being thankful for what's in front of us and really absorbing that in, and then also being genuinely curious because we are individuals and we're always changing And I really do think that we can grow not just individually, but collectively, but we have to ask good questions, right? Um, So that's fascinating. And so um, can you say a little bit about the sexual response cycle? Because I'm not sure, I mean, like you said, we spent like a half second on that medical training. Um, Can you share more about what that is and how you use that in your work to help understand where things may may not be flowing, so to speak? Sure. So the sexual response cycle, you know, for women talks about basically how you need that emotional intimacy. And then oftentimes the desire comes after arousal. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, a lot of times what happens is that when we have like arousal non-concordance, and I don't know if people know what that is, but sometimes your brain isn't in sync with what's happening in your body. So for example, well, if you see an erotic image or something like that, and physically, you know, it, for uh, vulvar born humans, you know, they may become lubricated, right? They, but in their mind, they may not be aroused just yet, right? And, and or for say, like a man. Um, so case in point, I have this story of um, a, uh, a gentleman that was Uh, It's an unfortunate story, actually. Basically, he was in college and he witnessed a sexual assault. And Mm -hmm. he never uh, reported that because he had a physical response to that sexual assault. So he noted that he had an erection. So he thought that maybe he was actually enjoying what he saw. And that's why he didn't report what he saw because he knew it was wrong. So in his mind, he knew it was wrong and he was disgusted, but because it was something sexual that was happening and he had a physical response, he thought he was enjoying it. So he didn't report the case, right? Mm. Basically saying that what's happening in our bodies may not necessarily be what's happening in our in our minds. So it could be a woman that is aroused, but may not be lubricated or a woman that is lubricated and may not be aroused. So what's important with those situations 
is to speak to your partner and make sure that there's consent. And I think that's where consent plays a huge role because oftentimes there was another case where there was a client and she spoke about a time where she was assaulted and she stated that, you know, she was with her boyfriend and um, because she was lubricated with, you know, and she told him to stop. And because she was lubricated, he was like, no, you're enjoying this. And, and she kept saying no. And again, that's how things kind of went awry. So, you know, that's important to understand. So sometimes our bodies don't often follow or not often, but I'm saying sometimes they don't follow what is happening in our minds. And so that's mm-hmm. why it's so important to have that type of connection. So for the female sexual response cycle, it's to understand that sometimes desire happens after arousal and that you need that longer stimulation. So for example, as women get older, we know that, you know, they require longer stimulation to become aroused and that desire starts coming after there's arousal. And, and there's so many things that can affect arousal. And that's another thing that's really important. And we have that in, you know, the hypoactive sexual desire disorder. And we know that oftentimes physicians will have to take a look at the biopsychosocial model to really assess what's going on with arousal and libido in women and desire. And that oftentimes it can be medications. And when we talk about the, and so the biopsychosocial model also falls into the female sexual response cycle because these are things that can affect the arousal and the desire. And so Mm -hmm. that's why. And so when we talk about the biopsychosocial model, we're talking about biological things. For example, if a patient has diabetes or if they have hypertension, high blood pressure, you know, those things, because they affect our arteries Mm -hmm. uh, and the vascular supply. And of course, you know, our blood supply is all over the body and it can, we can have decreased blood supply supply to the vulvar region, right? So that could be causing decreased arousal. Also, if we're taking medications, so for example, if we're taking calcium channel blocker or if we're taking medications for depression or if we're taking birth control pills, all of those things, affect our desire and our libido and so that's why it's so important to go over everything when you're talking about decreased desire and arousal in a woman also when we're talking about the psychological aspect oftentimes women that are have anxiety or depression and the meds that they're on for that can also affect our desire and our libido and then when we talk about the social aspect we're talking about you know is this a woman that has 50 things on her plate for example she's a single mom she's working three jobs she's got kids she's got dishes she's got laundry and so now all of a sudden she's supposed to be thinking about sex well that's probably not going to happen and if it happens she's probably experiencing decreased desire because she's got so many other things that she's thinking about that are taking priority that she's not going to be able to focus on her desire and her arousal when say that she's physically intimate so that's why it's so important to discuss all of those things when we are assessing a woman that may be experiencing decreased desire and libido that makes so much sense. And so that last thing that you said really resonated because I feel like that's 90% of the people I talk to who just say, I have so much on my plate. I work so many hours. I'm a mom. Most, a lot of our clients are our moms. And so how do you approach a situation like that where somebody is working so many hours, they have so many responsibilities? How can people get in the space where they do have that desire? Absolutely. So what, what you have to do, and also people that are experiencing chronic stress, right? We know yeah. stress affects so many things. And, you know, I'm sure you know of the author, Emily Nagoski, who wrote that yeah. book, 
are. And she talks about the brakes and the accelerators, right? And so having chronic stress is definitely a break and it's going to prevent you from being aroused or having that increased desire that you want, especially if you're being physically intimate with somebody. So you asked how can somebody that has so much going on, right, experience or increase their desire. Well, I think one of the things that we can do is, well, there's a few things, right? One of them is that if they are single moms that are working so many jobs and that have other responsibilities like children and laundry and food and all this stuff, is perhaps creating those date nights, right? With their partner and maybe getting a sitter if they're able to afford one so that they have that time, that one-on-one time with their partner, right? Mm -hmm. And and start practicing mindfulness. I know mindfulness is like a hashtag, everyone uses it, but you know, it really is important. There've been lots of studies that have shown that mindfulness can really increase desire and increase arousal. And that's because you're really just focusing on the moment, right? You're, mm. you're here and you're present and mindfulness is just being present in wherever you are without judgment and showing compassion. So we can practice that and we practice that when we are physically intimate with our partners or even emotionally intimate with our partners, then that will automatically increase our desire and our libido because we don't have those 50 things going on, right? It's really about decluttering your mind and yeah. being present in the situation that you're in, especially if it's important to you. For some women, it's not, and it doesn't matter. So then, you know, that's not the person that we're speaking to. But for the person that is really interested in increasing their desire, increasing their libido, but they have so much going on, perhaps trying to find that time with your partner, that one-on-one time, and having somebody watch your kids or having... getting a friend to take over a little bit of your responsibilities so that you can experience that pleasure and that desire and that arousal that you want with your partner so that you're not always worrying about other things. And also they talk about, you know, there's been studies that have shown that when there's uneven distribution of household chores, which is typically, you know, women tend to take on more household chores than a man, not saying that it's not the reverse, but, you know, traditionally that's what's happened. Um, That also affects libido and desire, right? Again, when women are doing so many things and when they have so many things on their mind and they're constantly about that, then that is automatically going to decrease your desire and your arousal. And then sex is just going to become another chore. And when mm-hmm. anything is a chore, nobody wants it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, want- so again, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And and I, I mean, I hear this all the time, personally and professionally in my all my circles. And so that's, that's, a, that's more of a cultural shift too. And I think it has to start in the individual level, the couple level, And, you know, how, what do you recommend in terms of shifting that balance? Because I think that there's, there's so many very deep seated expectations and yeah. Yeah. The patriarchy and the, (laughs) I know I get it. Um, I think it's a, I think really, to be honest, I feel like at the heart of it all is communication. Yeah. I think that really talking to your partner and letting them know what it is that you want and what it is that you desire and, and how you can get there if you had, say, if you had extra help or if you were able to, you know, one day a week have that date night with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would really change the narrative, I think, for that relationship. And And I think that makes sense. How do you, when there are such ingrained patterns of who does what in the household, how do you start to shift that balance? Because I think that 
it is certainly important to carve out the date night. Absolutely. To put it on the schedule. If, if somebody's mind is like, Oh, but the laundry and like Johnny's, you know, math test on Tuesday and that permission slip, I haven't, you know, like the 15 million things that have to get done. How do you start? I mean, I think that some of it is to make the invisible labor visible and by just making it all because so, so much of it happens inside the mind. And so it's not even seen as unequal because it's just done taking care of. And then the other person, whoever that is in the relationship doesn't even have the opportunity to be able to do some of those things. So I, you know, my hunch is that it involves making some of that visible and then maybe re divvying up things. Um, but I, I do see that a lot for at least my clients. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I think that, you know, if there's so much of it is invisible labor, then perhaps writing down all those things that you're doing, right. Yep. And letting your partner see all the things that you're doing and communicating that, listen, this might be too much. You know, I really need you to take some of these things off my plate. So I'm not doing these things all the time. And that I'm not thinking about them all the time because that's really impacting our physical sexual relationship. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it sex then just is another thing on my to-do list that I don't want to do. That's right. And, you know, and sometimes that may be the only thing that a person has control over, right? So that might be something that they hold back or use as like a weapon or, you know, because they resent having to do everything else. Yeah. 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 I think that makes a lot of sense. So yeah. starting that conversation of, you know, these are all the things yeah. getting it out there and saying, I think that our physical intimacy will improve if you can take some of these things and, and share more of this. Yeah. And absolutely. it also means that the person who's used to doing those things, uh, you know, needs to say, okay, but they may not be done exactly how I would do them. Or, you know, that's yeah. sort of that let go of control of some of that too. Yeah. But that's the, the flexibility that I think makes relationships so strong is that there has to be that otherwise it's just too rigid I think right absolutely a hundred percent right you have to let go and know that things are not going to be perfect but that they will get done and and there's also something called good enough sex right like it mm. doesn't have to be perfect and so I'm so glad you brought that up because you're right like the whole porn culture and everything we have this image in our mind and you know all of these different things but so so how would you describe that to a client yeah so good enough sex I would describe as both individuals experiencing pleasure mm. like it doesn't have to be you know that one person, you know, and that's the whole orgasm gap, right? The fact that men tend to orgasm 90% of the time through penile vaginal intercourse, whereas women experience it 30% of the time. Mm -hmm. and so, you know, moving that narrative from perhaps orgasm to pleasure and what pleases both of the individuals and what is it that they want to focus on in their relationship and in their physical intimacy, what brings mm -hmm. them happiness? Right. And if it's not orgasm, then it can be something else. How is mm. it that to be pleased? Right. That's so interesting. It's like having an intention. You know, when I go to yoga class, they say, what's your intention for today? When you get on the mat, my intention is to, you know, stay on the mat. Sometimes that's my intention. My intention is to, you know, get just a little bit more flexible or strength, you know, but it's like, maybe if we approached our sex lives that way, that we, yeah. The mind, the mindfulness piece, like we have an intention for this next 30 minutes or hour, whatever. So I think that might be really powerful. You're, yeah. And you're right. It may be, it may be pleasure is the intention. Connection is the intention. I think there's a lot that could be explored there. 
Yeah. Yeah. And realizing that like sex changes as we get older. Right. Uh, And I think learning and accepting your body the way it is now, sometimes, you know, people will say like, well, you know, I don't like my body or they may be spectating, right. Watching themselves being intimate with their partner or thinking that they don't like their bodies. And so then having really, you know, body image issues. And so just loving and accepting and not waiting until you lose that 10 pounds or you gain more muscle mass or whatever it is that you're hoping to do, right? But just loving yourself right now, the way it is, the way your body is, and just showing more compassion. I think if we all showed more compassion to ourselves, the way that we would to say our best friend, I think we'd all be much happier because being more kind, right? That's right. I think we treat our friends a lot better than we treat ourselves so often. And I I don't know about you, when I go to like the pool, you know, I see bodies in all sorts of shapes and sizes. And, you know, I think that sometimes we think there's this perfect body image. And I think that all, all body types, you know, are capable of experiencing joy and pleasure and connection. I think reminding ourselves that there's not an ideal, but it's, it's, it's who we're with and how we view ourselves that really matters. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so, so awesome. Um, so I, I have a question I need to ask you. And one thing that struck me on your website was about your background as a Muslim woman and how that influences how you both embrace your own philosophy towards sexuality and then also how you help your clients, whatever their background is. Like you said before, that certain religions uh, have different perceptions of sexuality, human sexuality, how, how just speak more about that. If you, if you're willing, cause I'd love to, we have people from all different backgrounds who are our clients and who listen to our podcast. I think that's such a powerful thing we can, we can discuss. Yeah. So, so I, um, I'm Muslim, I'm a practicing yeah. Muslim. And, you know, for me, I think it's really important to, empower and educate women about their sexual health. And the reason why is because I feel that oftentimes um, in our communities and really, you know, can I would say even at society at large, that we don't, like we talked about before, you know, oftentimes we may think that sex is wrong or shameful or taboo or, you know, and we don't, um, we don't really give others the opportunity or the permission, really. It's the, really the permission to ourselves, to learn about sexuality, to really understand what it is and to for people to really be able to experience um, their own pleasure. And I think that realizing that f- for me, it was important that I realized that Islam itself is a very sex positive religion. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that until I started on my own kind of a journey of learning more about uh, female sexuality and Islam and learning about, and I didn't know that um, husbands and wives um, have sexual rights in Islam. You know, this was something that mm-hmm. was new to me. And it's really, and also that um, female sat- satisfaction is very important. And also that um, not being satisfied in your marital relationship, like your sexual marital relationship is actually a grounds for divorce that I didn't know about either. So, you know, all of these things I was learning and discovering and thinking, wow, this is amazing. And I just wonder like how many other women know this, you know, I mean, I didn't, 
I didn't know anything about that. Um, and so for me, it was just really just discovering what my own um, religion was saying and really just giving myself permission to learn and realizing that it wasn't wrong to learn about this, but that it's just part of our journey in life and just realizing that it's part of life and it's, you know, who we are. And, and in Islam, you know, the way that we, so we are not supposed to have any relations like sexual relations outside of marriage. So mm -hmm. it's you know, a lot of times for a lot of women, the first time that they have a sexual relationship is with their husband. And so they don't have oftentimes, not all, and you know, I don't, Muslims are not a monolith, but yeah. um, Oftentimes for men and women, it, their first time is with their spouse. So mm -hmm. realizing that and giving yourself time and space to learn about the other person, learn what their likes are, what their dislikes are, and then pacing yourself, right? Realizing that it's not going to be perfect the first time around, but that, you know, as you become more comfortable with your own bodies, that it will get better. And, um, and I think that was really important. And so that's why I think that for a lot of women that may not give themselves permission, you know, I would suggest to them that they do give themselves permission so, to learn about their own bodies and to go from a mindset that may not be serving them to one that does so that they can experience pleasure in their relationship. Yeah, I think that's so beautiful. How do you think we can do better? I mean, it's interesting that you were raised, right? You were raised you know, the religious background and a family. I, you know, my own background is that I grew up in a very Catholic, Roman Catholic family. And so I discovered in college, there's a theology of the body and all these very sex positive messages. And there's the song of Psalms and the Bible. I mean, there's so many examples of where you can say, wow, like, how did I never learn this before? Right. So wow. what do you think we can do for our youth? to then, you know, make it not that, oh my gosh, I stumbled upon this as I was trying to navigate my own sexuality, but a kind of more culturally, what do you think we could do to help bridge that gap between religion and sexuality? Yeah, I think that, you know, again, it's, it's not shutting down questions that come yeah. from children, I think. And it's also answering questions that they may have that they may be curious about uh, age appropriately. And, you know, nobody's saying that at the age of five, you have to start talking about intercourse, but, you know, it's just being, you know, matter of fact and telling, you know, children what the names of their body parts are, not changing them to different names, not calling, you know, teaching a girl that her vulva is, you know, a cookie or something like that. When then she tries to tell you that someone touched her cookie and you're like, oh, no, that's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, like it just totally. totally. So you know, really. Um, allowing that for children to say the appropriate words so that they mm -hmm. don't, you know, grow up with a connotation that it's bad, that it's wrong, that I can't, you know, look or that I can't uh, speak about these words because it's not permissible or that it's taboo. I think that's really important. I think also talking about as our children get older, I think really talking about um, consent. Mm -hmm super important. And I think, you know, maybe also letting them know that sometimes, you know, they may feel aroused, but even not want sex and to really know and understand what that is. And then to really speak to their partner and make sure that what they're doing is what they really want. Right. Yeah. And understanding that no means no, and yes means yes. And yeah. you know, 
changing those. So I think the, you know, those are things that I think are very important. I think also, you know, allowing and, and really talking to um, children as they get older, of course, you know, age appropriate um, about like sexual pleasure, right? And that it's not always about pathology. It's not always about sexually transmitted infections or intimate partner violence or, um, you know, how to prevent pregnancy. Although those are very important things that, mm-hmm be discussed and understood, but also that there is a part of sexual education that involves pleasure and to know what pleases you and to be able to communicate that with your partner. Yeah, I think that's so important. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, have you, do you have clients from other religious backgrounds where you've learned various things about maybe say Judaism or Christianity, Catholicism? Um, I know we have, you know, Hinduism, we have listeners from all sorts of different backgrounds. Are there any other nuggets as we're on the topic of religion and sexuality that you would like to share? I think that, you know, one of the most important things I think is just destigmatizing sexual health. I think that's one of the biggest things, right? And I think that every society and culture, regardless of who they are and what backgrounds they have, they all at some point or have a little bit of, you know, taboo associated with sexual health, if even if, you know, and it's probably a lot, you know, I think it's a spectrum. I think some people, some cultures have more and others have less, mm-hmm. but I think that there is definitely still um, a lot of taboo associated with sexual health. And I think if we destigmatize it and make it such that people are able to speak about it and mm-hmm. learn about it, I think that would really help uh, future generations. Yeah, I think that's amazing. That's wonderful. Awesome. Um, other things. So uh, Kavitha couldn't be here today. She's uh, the, the head of our ship, so to speak, the captain of our ship. And one, one question that she had, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with Esther Perel and all of her writing and work. She's, she has so many novel ideas about relationships and goes back historically. So one of the, one of the things that Esther says about relationships is that if we become too emotionally safe, you know, and we don't have that mystery and that sense of adventure, that that might quell some of the passion that we can experience. And then it's that, that space and that adventure and that mystery that, that keeps that passion going. And there's other people like John Gottman who disagrees with that. So I'm curious, what do you think about emotional intimacy, emotional safety, passion? How can we both feel connected to our partners and also have this sense of, of, of continuous uh, passion in our relationships. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a combination of both, right? Mm-hmm. I think you always have to be curious about your partner. And I think you have to be intentional about that curiosity. I think you have to want to know, you know, what is it that, really arouses your partner you know what is it that they like what is it that they don't like what is it something that you know you'd be interested in learning about them that you probably don't know right the mm-hmm. person i think is so full of mystery and there's so much that we don't tell our spouses that it only adds to i think the erotic and i i would agree with esther Pearl. i think that there has to be a little bit of mystery otherwise you know we all get stuck in monotony monotony and a rut. And I think that then we lose that passion and that interest in our spouses. And I think mm-hmm. really, you know, what attracts us to somebody new, right? Mm-hmm. It's just that 
that mystery it's that newness it's you know that oh you know what is this person about what do they like what do they you know dislike it's it's all of that finding out about that new person that mm -hmm. creates that mystery and that excitement and i think that when we get stuck or when we get bored when we think we know everything that there is possibly to know about a person then we crave something else and so i think it's really important to continuously try to find that newness in your partner so that it keeps a passion alive and i think yeah. that really creates the excitement yeah that's amazing uh, do you have ways that you do this in your practice you know, i'm just thinking a listener might be like well that sounds fantastic but we've been together for 15 years and we have such limited time. And I, I know you said the date nights, but just on a very practical level, how yeah. can we, how can we create that mystery? Do you think it's, you know, trying new things? Do you think it's imagination? You know, where, where can we start if we're trying, we're starting to try to change our sex lives? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think it has a lot to do with your imagination. I think like trying new things, I think like maybe, you know, going on um, a walk in a park that you've never been in, right? Anything new, I think creates excitement. Mm -hmm. um, something, you know, doing like a cooking class, right? Mm -hmm. Which is so fun. I actually love doing that with my kids. We do that all the time. <laughs> we always do like oh. a cooking or we'll go, we love like food tours. You know, whenever we go to a new location and it's just like you learn a lot about the history, but you also, you know, get to taste the food and things like that. So I think just doing something new, something different, right? Surprising your partner, maybe having tickets to, I don't know, like a show or a movie or just putting on a show that they like that you never really cared for. But, you know, you'll just sit there and watch with them just because you're trying to just spend more time with them, right? Yeah, right. Um, try different things, you know, and I don't know, you can also try different things in the bedroom, right? That excite you, that create that mystery, that novelty, which we all seek. And I think that that's really what leads to the excitement. Yeah, you know, I, I so love what you said about it's the both and. Sometimes I think we think that, oh, it's either this or it's either that. It's either emotional intimacy or this very distant, mysterious, passionate relationship. But I think you're right. We can have both at the same time. And, and the intention is is really what's so important. So thank you for sharing that. I hadn't thought of it that way. Oh. That's wonderful. Um, so do you have other, do you have questions for for us and and our our emotional mastery work? And you know, I, I, I always think about these things go in both directions. And your listeners, right, they're primarily interested in sexual health and 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 living their best lives in that sense. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, you talk about emotional mastery. How do you do that with your clients? Oh, that's such a great question. So I think one of the, one of the key things that we teach is actually how to sit with our feelings. And that's something that most of us were not taught. We, you know, we have this analogy that our mind is a school bus. And the goal is that we are the driver of the school bus and all passengers are welcome on the school bus. And what we need to do is we need to get very familiar and comfortable with our passengers so that no matter what comes up, we can sit with it. So for instance, like shame is something that I used to be incredibly uncomfortable with. And I would go to extreme lengths to avoid feeling shame in any sense. And that avoidance then, right, because you're resisting, because I was resisting it, then it grew and grew and grew and grew. And then it started to wreak some havoc in various aspects of my life. And so when I had this awareness and I started working with Kavitha a few years ago, I got to become friends with shame 
and sit with shame and, and shame who used to fill the whole room got smaller and smaller and smaller. And now just shame maybe is in the eighth row back. You know, sometimes shame pops up. I'm like, Hey, how's it going? Um, but it's, it's being able to tolerate the full range of emotions and welcoming all that because we don't, we can't understand joy without understanding sadness. We can't understand love without understanding loss. It's that holding space for all the emotions. And then on in any given day, right? We say, we do our feelings check-in. So we say, okay, who's on my school bus today? And who needs the most attention? And we don't get involved in our minds. This is a very embodied thing, right? And, and as you mentioned, I mean, sexual health, I think, is a very embodied experience for, for most of us, right? So I think that when we think about sexual health, a lot of those negative feelings, so to speak, can come up. And so as we sit with all the full range, fear, anger, sadness, joy, pleasure, happiness, connection, all those different passengers, that then allows us to experience the full range, the, the greatest range of sexual health, because whatever comes up, it doesn't consume us. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. That's great. Yeah. So that's the, that's one of the hallmarks of our emotional mastery. And then we discuss the relationship mastery. So when we then involve another person in these concerns, conflicts, fears, worries, wants, needs, all of those things, that's where the communication piece comes in. But unless we've been able to sit with our own experience, our own internal world, then we can then bring that to another person. And part of it too is filling our own well, because what we realize is that if we are asking another person for what we so desperately want and need, and we haven't attended to ourselves first, that we're going with a very desperate, scarce energy. And so when we can start to understand ourselves, understand what, what gives us joy, meaning, energy, freedom, and then we want something from another person, they are free to say no in that situation, but it comes from a different space and a different energy. And we know that we can fill our own well to a certain extent so that we're not dependent on other people in a very desperate way for that. And I think you know that, that also does pertain uh, as we approach the, the the bedroom as well, right? Because we have to understand ourselves and and get comfortable with with ourselves first and foremost, and then we can then bring that other person into the conversation. And they have their school bus too, right? So it's it's a very uh, interesting thing to think about that dynamic. Yeah, no, I think that that's a fantastic analogy, and I think that's really helpful to understand. And I agree with you a hundred percent that. You have to take care of yourself first and realize what it is that you need, but also realize that you have it within you already. That's right. That you can, you do have the capacity and you don't need someone else to validate you or to show you that you have value. You have to understand that you have that value already within yourself. That's right. Um, and that, you know, the only, the, the thing that the other person adds to you is companionship, right? But we mm -hmm. can't ask somebody else to make us whole. We have to do that for ourselves. That's right. That's 100% right. So I think, you know, this is this is so important that we're talking about this today, because I think people say people look to the outside and they look at other they think, okay, well, other people, you know, have sex every day or other people, whatever it is, and then we focus on the gap and not the gain. But I think finding the small ways and maybe ways that in the past, 
were wonderful and pleasurable with that same person, right? Um, there's all sorts of different ways that we can think about it. But I, I personally believe, I told you I was raised in Catholicism, I think the 11th commandment should be thou shalt not compare, right? Because gotcha. seriously, right? Because when we start looking at like other couples or the TV or whatever else, then we totally, our, our measuring stick, it's just totally out of whack. And we wow. really do have to look inside ourselves and think about what brings us joy, what brings us pleasure. And uh, I think that's so important. And that's what we can teach our kids too, right? As we, this is very important to me that I leave my children with this legacy of healthy attitudes towards sexuality. It's, it's just, and I'm sure you feel the same way, right? Absolutely. Oh, that's so wonderful. So I realized I, I need to know how to s- pronounce your name correctly for the pod squad. Um, Sadaf, Sadaf Lodi. Sadaf Lodi, Dr. Sadaf Lodi. Okay, wonderful. And so tell me, where can we find you? Yes. So I am on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Sadaf OBGYN. I'm on YouTube at Dr. Sadaf Intimacy Coach. I am also, I ha- I'm the host of the Muslim Sex Podcast. I have a website, drsalaf.com, and I'm now taking telehealth patients uh, for sexual health and perimenopause, menopause at um, drsalaf at drsalaf.com. And those telehealth appointments are for patients in New York and Michigan. But as you know, intimacy coaching can be international. It can be anywhere. So that's So where I'm actually in New York too. I'm curious. So where are you in the city? Are you in upstate New York? Uh, I'm in Westchester. Westchester You're in County. Westchester. Okay, fabulous. So I'm in Albany. And oh, so so we're really not too far away. That's amazing. Yeah, try to get together and meet up. <laughs> oh, that would be, I would so love that. Yeah. I would, we could even do an event. Wouldn't that be fun? Ooh, see, now you're talking. Now we're talking. <laughs> I know. Um, so, yeah. so for our listeners, do you have any last kernels of wisdom or things that you were hoping that we talk about that we didn't? Any, you know, pitfalls or advice or just kernels of wisdom because i know people are our, our listeners are, are keenly interested in this topic because i think a lot of people think that you know their relationships have just gotten very unhealthy in every aspect so anything yeah. else that you wish to share today i think that one of the key things to understand is that sex looks different at every age mm. at- like you said, thou shall not compare, right? So we shouldn't compare what perhaps it was when we were younger to what it is now. And that you can find that sexual confidence at any age and it's never too late and you're never too old. Yeah. And I think that um, is one of the key things, right? Sexual confidence at any age and that it's uh, you're able to find that pleasure in your relationship. Oh my gosh, you are changing the world, my friends. You really are because I think that this is just so incredibly powerful for each person that you help. You're able to transform their lives. And I think that that sexuality just, it has this way of spilling over into every other aspect of life, right? That confidence, it, it really does affect every other space. And so I know through your work with your clients and your patients and your podcasts and everything that you're doing, it's just, it's, you're such a gem to the world. So thank you so much for doing what you do. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yes. Yes. And until the next time. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. If this podcast means something to you, it would mean so much to me if you'd be willing to take 30 seconds to do one or all of these three things. First, can you follow or subscribe to Emotional Mastery? 
following the podcast helps you because you'll never miss an episode and it helps us because you'll never miss an episode. So to do this, just go to the Emotional Mastery show page on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and tap on the plus sign on the top right corner or click on the button that says follow. This is the most important thing for the podcast to reach more people. And while you're there, if you'd be willing to give us a five-star rating and a review and share an episode you love with a friend, I'd be so grateful. We appreciate you very, very much. Thank you.